0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome back to Daily Thunder. Uh, today we're debriefing or, or talking about some of the topics that were covered in the last Sunday sermon, which is, which is one of the classic sermons that we're going through. Classic m- meaning in, in Ellerslie history was one that really had a big impact on our body here. And, and the sermon title was Americanized. If you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to listen to it. But it was talking about this, this self-centered sort of uh, version of Christianity that it's not that America is the first time that we've seen it, but it's become very prominent in America where it's very self seeking, self comforting. How can we pamper self as opposed to how can we glorify Christ? And so we're gonna unpack this a little bit today and talk about some of the concepts in there uh, today. But I wanna start by asking a, a really simple question, uh, but a question that is potentially one of the most important questions that we could ask, which is what is a Christian? What is a Christian? And I would encourage you to ponder that question and, and think about how would you answer that question? What is a Christian? Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into that very much in depth today, but what I want to say is this the main term that the Bible uses is not a Christian. In fact, the, the first time that Christian was used was in Antioch, and you can read that in Acts chapter 11, verse 26. It says that the first time they used the term Christian was in Antioch, and actually it was an insult. What had happened was they were insulting the people with the term Christian, and it sort of stuck. And now today we call ourselves Christians, meaning those who follow Christ. Uh, But sometimes when we have a term that we're really familiar with, we can lose sight of what it means. Uh, The term Christian is only used three times in the Bible. The main term that is used to to describe us as, as followers of Jesus is the term disciple. So even if you look throughout the book of Acts, you're going to see this, the, this description of the disciples. In fact, even in Acts chapter 11 26, I'll read it. It says, and when they had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So, so what is Christian? Well, it's a name for people that are a disciple of Jesus. And, and there's some other terms, brothers and believers and so on, that are used in the New Testament. But the main term is used is disciples. So a Christian is simply a disciple of Jesus. And, and you could go more in depth in terms of what that means. Somebody who's uh, put their faith in Christ and, and been cleansed through his blood and, and so on. But is a disciple of Jesus. Now three times in, in, in Luke 14, Jesus talks about people that cannot be his disciple. He talks about people that cannot be his disciple. And, and again, Christian and disciple mean the same thing. So, so when we hear the word Christian, oftentimes we think, well, there's a Christian and then there's a disciple. Well, that's not true. A Christian is just another term for a disciple of Jesus. And so I'll read this. It's in verse 26 and 27. And again, in, in verse 33, here's what Jesus says. And I'm just abbreviating it for the sake of time. But he says, if any man comes to me, And does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. We oftentimes spend time for obvious reasons on how you become a disciple. But but he says, this is something that without this, you cannot be a disciple. Again, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple disciple. And then again in verse 33, he says, so likewise, whoever of he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. So he says, everything's got to go. Nothing can be a priority above Jesus, that we must forsake all, we must pick up our cross and for, in comparison of a love that we have for him, it's like hating our own father and mother and brother and sister and wife and husband and so on. Otherwise, we cannot be his disciple. And so when we talk about sort of this Americanized version of Christianity that wants a Christianity that does not forsake these things, that wants a Christianity where you can keep your own life and don't have to lay down your life, where you don't have to pick up a cross but get to pick up a bed of comfort instead, that that does not forsake all, you recognize that that's a version of Christianity that doesn't agree with Jesus on what it means to be a Christian. And I think if we're going to be followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, we need to agree with what he says. And so if we're going to be a people that are not just uh, self ingrandizing and and living for self and for self-fulfillment, you recognize that we need to go back to what does Jesus say it means to follow him? And, And we need to begin to obey these things and recognize that that is Christianity That's not another version, that's not just a radical version of Christianity, but that it is Christianity to forsake everything to follow Jesus, to give up our lives, to pick up our cross and follow after him. For without doing that, we cannot be his disciple. Now we live in a generation where where it's become acceptable within the church to be consumed with ourselves. To be consumed with ourselves. We've also lived in a generation where it's normal, and, and it's not normal in the Bible, but where it's normal for people within a church to have a victim mentality. And what do I mean by victim mentality? Meaning it, it's it's all about me, and poor me, and it's a hard time, and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And of course, a victim mentality is based in, is it pride at the very root? That life is about me, and I deserve more, and the reality is the gospel strips away anything that I deserve. It, it strips away any, any uh, self-deserving attitude or self-confident attitude that I have. And it goes, whoa, I have, I have nothing outside of Jesus. I don't deserve anything except for judgment. And it produces, instead of a victim mentality, it produces a victorious mentality. And it produces a joyful and a thankful vict- uh, mentality. Now, it's interesting, Harvard Business Review published a study not too long ago, and, and it's shocking what it said about our culture in, in the Western world. I think it was specifically on U.S. and the young people. But it said about 50% of millennials, and get this, 75% of Generation Z have left a job because of mental health reasons. Now, that's a 25% increase be, between the millennials and Generation Z, but 50% of millennials, 75% of Generation Z have left a job because of mental health reasons. And and I would challenge that it's not just that all of a sudden our our brains are turning to mush in this generation, but that we have taken on idols of of ourselves and of things in our culture that are causing a, a degradation In the the mindset, and the minds, and and the entire life of this generation. In 1 John 5, the very last phrase in the book of 1 John, he says this. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Isn't that an interesting thing? He says, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's the, the closing. And by the way... First John, if you're not familiar, is in the New Testament. This isn't just an Old Testament book. He says, keep yourselves from idols. And this should warn us as the church, because this is written to believers, should warn us as the church that we are to be watchful against idolatry coming in. In Psalm 115, it says this, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. And feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter from their throat. Those who make them are like them. And so is Everyone. Who trusts in them? that you have all these idols that are, if you want to say sum it up, they're incapable. They can't smell. They can't see. Yeah, they've got the eyes, but they can't see. You know, they, they, they've got feet, but they can't walk, and so on. They've got the appearance of being something that can that can help, but they're incapable to actually do anything. They're incapable to actually affect any change. And, and, and our generation is going after all of these idols that we think are going to change us. But if we just have enough self-confidence, if we just have enough self-fulfillment, if we just have enough comfort, enough technology, and and all of these different things, then we'll be okay. And yet we see this rapid slide downward in our culture, that even from millennials to Generation Z, the, the, the mental strength is, is, there isn't any. But 75% of Generation Z has has left a job because of a mental weakness, or a mental health reason, I would argue that that's because those who trust in idols become like them. Those who trust in in these incapable things to bring life and health and strength and beauty and all that God has created in this world become like them and become incapable. And so what are some of these idols? Well, I just sort of jotted down a few notes in preparation for this of course, self-fulfillment is one, right? You, you just look out of a culture and all these advertisements about self-fulfillment and how you can get self-fulfillment. Well, self-fulfillment, according to the Bible, is just trying to satisfy the flesh. And, and the Bible says we're supposed to put off the flesh, not try and fulfill the, the, the hungers or the desires of the flesh. Comfort and ease. We've idolized comfort and ease. A unity. We've made an idol of unity in our culture, haven't we? Where we've made it all about peace. And it's sort of like it says in the Old Testament where they're saying, peace, peace. And God says, but there is no peace. And so we've given up truth and we've given up Christ and the glory of God for a form of unity that isn't around Jesus, but is just trying to unify around things that are not Christ. We've made an idol out of fun. That we've idolized the pursuit of that which is fun for us. And it's interesting because we've made these idols, but it's really interesting. Life is a lot of fun when life is not about fun. Life is it was great when you're not pursuing these things as idols. And yet when you begin to pursue these things as an end, it becomes idolatry. And we've become worshipers of, of these things in our American culture retirement right we, we've made a idol out of this idea of, of retirement of again it's sort of that comfort and ease idea but if I just gather up these things then I can say like the man in the parable soul take your rest you've got plenty of stuff you've got your barns full and God that night appears to him and says you fool you stored up things here on earth and yet you're not rich towards God now one that, that I think in the younger generation we've made a big idol out of is adventure we, we've idolized adventure we even spiritualize a little bit in American culture don't we? that we have a lot of adventure trips that we call short-term missions. Now, there may be some legitimate short-term missions, but many of the things that we are labeling under, under the, the name of serving God are no more than an excuse to go out and have some adventure. Now, adventure can be great. God's made it a very adventurous life. But when we idolize this and make adventure a pursuit, what ends up happening is, is it's empty. It can't give us. What it appears to be able to give, it can't give life, it can't give joy, it can't give any of these things. So it becomes an idol. Materialism. materialism. And of course there's 10,000 other things. Because there's always 10,000, 10 trillion options besides Jesus. But what God has called us to is to put these things off. Not that they're all bad, but not to look to those things. But to put away these things, to give up our life, to pick up our cross, and to become his disciples. And this is the quality of Christianity that God is calling all of us into because it's really the only version of Christianity. So in Philippians 3, it gives us contrast. And in the beginning, it gives us this picture of, of Paul's pursuit and, and givenness to Christ. That it gives us a picture of what Jesus talks about in Luke 14, where he talks about getting, giving up everything and picking up your cross and all of that. And then towards the end, it gives a contrast of that with those who are worshiping the the God of the belly, as it were. And Eric mentioned this a little bit in the the sermon, Americanized. But I wanted to draw a little bit more out of this passage. So I'm going to read a section of it. And I just want you to notice that contrast that that we have there. Because it gives an alternative to one whose belly is their God. Meaning is worshiping the appetites, the comforts, and the things of the flesh. Is looking for self-fulfillment. And, 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 and that's in contrast to those who are seeking that fulfillment, if you want to say it that way, in Christ, who are worshiping Christ. So Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, he says, But what things were gained to me, those I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, now listen to this, As many as are mature have this mind. What mind? The one he just described, which says, I'm giving everything up to follow after Jesus. He says, if any of us are mature, let us have this mind. And if anything, sorry, and he says, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So everything he's just described, he's saying this is how you're supposed to walk. And, and, and God will show it to you if you're not walking that way, but walk in this. And, and he says that we are, ought to walk as an example and to note those who walk in that way. But then here's what he says. For many walk, this can be said of a church today in America, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, That they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. And listen to this. Who set their mind on earthly things. These are those who who, who say they're following Jesus. And yet they're enemies of the cross because their mind is set on earthly things. They haven't given up everything. But just like, remember when Peter says to, to the Lord Jesus and he tempts him with earthly things? He says, no, no, far be it from you, Lord. You don't need to go to the cross. He's being an enemy of the cross in that moment. And, and, and what does Jesus say? Get me behind me, Satan, for you do not savor the things of God, but you savor the things that be of man. They have an appetite for things that are of man. They don't have an appetite for the cross. They don't want to pick up their cross and follow him. They would far rather have an appetite for the things of man. And, 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 and Jesus rebukes him. Get me behind me, Satan who set their mind on earthly things. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Meaning that's where our mind's going to be. That's where our citizenship is. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. And so there's this version of, of, of what is called Christianity today, which says you can be a disciple and not pick up your cross. And let me tell you today, that's an enemy of the cross. And I'm not necessarily talking about the person, I mean the doctrine. That, that this is not the way of the cross, that, that's, that's somebody whose mind is set on earthly things. But the disciple or the Christian is called to to make our citizenship heaven, to pick up our cross, to follow after him and to worship him alone, that we would seek after him, that we would count all things as lost and be willing to suffer the loss of all things, that we might win Christ. And isn't he worthy? That he is worthy of all that our Lord has given all and he is worthy of us forsaking everything to follow after him. And here's Paul at the end of his ministry, towards the end of his life, and and he has suffered the loss of everything. I mean, he he at this point is is pretty close to even crippled because of the amount of torture and persecution. And yet he says one thing, I'm going after him, guys. He's worth it. I want to win Christ. Would you make that your aim? Would you be willing to, to set off Those things that would distract you to pick up your cross, to deny yourself, to give up everything to be his disciple. Daily Thunder is a listener supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Note that our live in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume on weekdays this coming June at the Ellersley campus, in conjunction with our discipleship training season. Thanks for listening.